good amen for that. Amen. Yeah, that's great. We're so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for coming. And I really do pray, if you're saying, Dwayne, what would you pray would happen today? That is some folks would leave with some, some new hope and a fresh hope in your life. Well, you don't know this, but a couple of things really are important every Sunday. One is what I wear. I know it's really important to some people, so I try to you know, dress like a, a pastor, you know, wear the right pastor stuff. Seriously, not joking. I'm like, what are we going to wear today? But, but then the sermon title. It's really an important thing. You, you, know, you try to kind of something kind of catchy, creative, you know. You don't want to just come up with, like, the story of, you know. You want to kind of, so, so I'm, I'm going, okay, what? So, so I had the sermon points, and they were the bottom and then the bottom line, and then the bottomless truth. So I said, okay, I need something with the bottom. And I knew, I knew bottoms up wouldn't work. You know, being a Baptist church, that, that just wouldn't work. So, so I, find, I went online, I said, okay, give me things with bottom. And so, you know, like folks saying things, you know. And, and so I came up with, bet your bottom dollar. But I still had a problem with bet, because, you know, we, we Baptists kind of don't go to this betting thing. So, so I checked with I checked with David and Elaine and Sandy and Ruth and Judy Brazier, and they've all assured me that you would not be offended by the word bet. So, in case you're wondering why I'm using this, it's all their fault. All right, it's all, it's all their fault. Okay, but but the real reason is because the, the, that that phrase means when you when you're willing to to risk it all, when there's something you like totally believe on that if you have one dollar left. You would place in a wager on that thing being a sure deal, a surefire thing. And then, of course, it had the word bottom in it, which I was really looking for. I want to tell you a story today about a guy who had a bottom line that was unbelievable. And is a bottom line that is filled with hope. And he had to start at the bottom to really discover that. And of course it's the story of Job. If you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Job chapter 19. That's where we're going to camp today. But I kind of want to tell you. In case you're visiting today. We've all heard the story of Job. I want to give you like a short version of the story of Job. Just in case you're not familiar with it. So here's the story of Job part one. Life is good. I mean life is so good to Job. He has money. He has Family, he has popularity, he has power, he has respect, he has the, um, the character and all for with a, a public life. People look at Job and go, boy, that guy is doing it right. Life was good for Job. And then, unknown to him, in a place called heaven, God and Satan have a conversation. It goes something like this. Satan shows up at that time, and maybe perhaps even now, according to some scripture, perhaps, Satan has access to God. And so God says, so what you been doing, Satan? And so he goes, oh, I, I've been out checking things out. What you been checking out? Have you checked out my servant Job? And, and Satan said, yeah, I saw him down there. But you know, yeah, he, he likes you a lot, and he serves you, and he worships you. But the only reason he does is because life is really good. If life wasn't so good, he would curse you, and he would desert you. And God said, all right, believing in Job, by the way, this wasn't like two master chess people up there. There was a reason and a purpose. So God said, okay, I'll tell you what, you can go ahead. You can't touch him, but you can take away all his stuff that makes life good. Satan says, we'll do. So Satan goes down and stirs the pot up. And when it's all said and done, Job has lost everything. He lost all his wealth. He lost all his prestige. He lost all the, the things that people would value and he lost his children. All his children were killed 
ironically, in a storm, in a windstorm. And so, you know, after all of that, okay, you know, here's Job, brokenhearted, like you would be in this situation. And Job says, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's so honorable and so good and, and, and it's so cool. And we've all heard that. And, but you're going, but Dwayne, I'm not Job. <laughs> you know, that's really cool that Job could say that. But I just don't have that in me to say that. Well, let's go to Job, the story of Job part two. So life was tolerable. Perhaps, I'm not sure, we don't know how much time lapsed between part one and part two. But life perhaps is tolerable. Um, he's still grieving of the loss of his children. Um, you know, he, he's maybe regaining some of his wealth. Probably not a whole lot. I don't think a lot of time has lapsed. And so life is tolerable. It's getting by. And then God and Satan have a conversation in a place called heaven. And, of course, Job doesn't know this. And so Satan shows up again, and God says, so where you been? He said, been checking out the world. He goes, have you considered my servant Job? Does this sound familiar? Part two. And Satan said, yeah, dude, yeah, I know. You know but, but you know what? God, he only hasn't cursed you because you haven't allowed me to touch his body. Now, you, you take away a man's health and make him hurt. He'll, he'll curse you. He'll desert you. He'll, he'll jump ship on you. And God said, man, believing in Job. All right. Okay. You can go ahead and touch it. You can't kill him, but you can take his health. So Satan goes down and stirs the pot again. Satan gets down there and covers Job with these horrendous, horrible boils. It's just a horrible, horrible disease. And so there he is and, and his dear Sweet, loving wife. Men, y'all know about those, don't you? Uh, this dear, wonderful woman, this helpmate that God has sent to Job, shows up on the scene, and he's sitting there in the ashes, um, taking a piece of broken pottery and scraping the boils on his boils on his body. And so she looks at him with words of encouragement and says, "Why don't you just curse God and die?" Isn't that just bless your heart? Don't you just feel... You know, she honestly believed that obviously Job had done something horrible to deserve this. And so you might as well just desert God. You're just an old sinner anyway. Why don't you just curse God and die? And here's what Job responds this time. He said to her in verse 10, 210, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Now watch. Listen. listen this is powerful. Should we indeed accept good from God? And shall not accept adversity. And then, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Wow. Pretty incredible. He's lost everything that he owned. Now he's lost his health. His wife comes down on him and says, you might as well curse God and die. And says, no, you're wrong about that. Now listen, listen. We, 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 we get good from God and, and we should be willing to accept the adversity from God. You know? And, and Job didn't sin with his lips. Wow. And about this time, you're going, well, you know, Dwayne, that's really nice. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad Job had that kind of faith. I really am. I want I to applaud Job. But the truth is, that's not me. That's not the world I live in. I'm just not there. Well, you know, again, see, we often don't read the whole story of Job. And, and in chapter 19... I want to take just a moment and I want to read you a bunch of scriptures that give a different, you know, Job, Job struggled like you struggle. 
I mean, he has a couple of mountaintop peak statements there. Well, we'll just listen to this. This is Job chapter 19, where we're going to be, verses 2 through 5. How long, he's talking to his friends, how long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? You have already insulted me ten times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. Even if I have sinned, that is my concern and not yours. Hello? You think you're better than I am, using my humiliation as evidence of my sin. But watch this. But it is God who has wronged me, capturing me in his net. I cry out, help! But no one answers me. I protest, but there is no justice. God has blocked my way so I cannot move. He, God, has plunged me, plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He has demolished me on every side and I am finished. He has uprooted my hope like a fallen tree. His fury burns against me. He counts me as an enemy. His troops advance. They build up roads to attack me. They camp all around my tent. Whoa, that's a different picture. About now, I hope you're going, well, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe I can identify this guy named Job. Because that's exactly how I feel sometimes. I don't feel like God's for me. I feel like he's against me. I feel like some of this calamity stuff is all he's doing anyway. You know, you're going, yay, Job, give me five. Maybe I can identify with that. And it gets worse because he goes on now and talks about his family. He says in verse 13 through 20, my relatives stay far away. And my friends have turned against me. My family is gone. My close friends have forgotten me. My servants and maids consider me a stranger. I am like a stranger to them. When I call my servant, he doesn't come. I have to plead with him. My, I like this one. My breath is repulsive to my wife. He had morning breath. It doesn't get much worse than that. I am rejected by my own family. Even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they, they turn their backs on me. Now, remember now where he was and where he is now. My close friends detest me. Those I loved had turned against me. I have been reduced to skin and bones and escaped death by the skin of my teeth. And then on your sermon sheet, verse 21 and 22, he cries out to his friends, Have mercy on me, my friends. Have mercy, for the hand of God has struck me. Must you also persecute me like God does? Haven't you chewed me up enough? Now, by now, you, if you're sitting here today and life has been really difficult for you, and that's probably all of us at one time or another, you've got to be going, well, you know, this Job guy, I can really identify with him. And you know what's really wild? If you do, now watch, 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 watch. Not, not on the computer in-depth study. If you'll do just a light study, a casual reading of the Word of God, here's what you're going to discover. The Word of God consists of stories about very imperfect people who had very difficult circumstances, and often they wrestled with God. Often they said, I don't think so, God. Often they said, God, I don't believe you. God, I don't trust you. God, you've been hard on me. Read the Psalms. David, the man after God's own heart, wrote a lot of Psalms about, hey, God, where are you? So you're more like God than you thought. But you're saying, now wait a minute, Dwayne. See, this whole, that's the problem with this God thing. I don't get it. Some preacher told me, hello. Some, some, some pastor on TV told me. 
the church I used to go to, and Dwayne, it may have escaped your lips. That if I just follow God, if I just trust Jesus, then everything's going to be okay. It's not, folks. When you trust Jesus, you don't get out of this imperfect world. You don't lose all your difficult circumstances. In fact, listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter, um, John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus speaking, that in me you may have peace. Now, by the way, I don't have time to touch this. But would you just write down John 16, 33? Now, some of y'all would never write that down, but I wish you would. John 16, 33. Because he says, in me you'll have peace. Not in religion, not in good works, not in money, not in prosperity, not in good circumstances, not when the sun is shining only. In me, in Jesus Christ, you will have peace. And here's what he says. Watch. In this world, you will have tribulation. Oh. In this world, you have tribulation. But, be a good cheer, I have overcome the world. Hey, so, so Jesus says, hey, you can expect tribulation, but listen, listen, you'll get your peace in me if you'll walk with me. Oh. Oh. So. So we have Joe. Have, have you ever been there before? Have you ever been to the bottom? Now come on. Be honest. I know. I know we're amongst church. And we got to put a plastic smile on. And we got to say not me. I trust Jesus. Yes I do. I trust Jesus. How about you? I know. But come on. Just, just between me, you and God. Okay. Just between you and God. Ever been there? Has your heart ever hurt so bad? Have you lost so much that you would have said the very same thing that John, that Job said in those first verses in chapter 19? Have you ever, have you ever had a time, you know, when you're sitting in the ash heap and you've got your piece of broken pottery and you're broken the sore, you're scraping the scores of your life, of your body? Has there been a time when life was reduced to so much pain, all you could do was scrape the sores? Has there been times in your life where you said, why? Wondering just why? Hey, hey, God, why did all this happen? Why, why did, I know sometimes we, we mess up and it's kind of like, well, I did this and so that happened. But, but God, why? Why am I where I am? Because I don't understand. I don't get it. Have you ever found yourself saying, my, my friends... Why don't they get it? I love when people go, I understand how you feel, and I've said it before. And I said this week, I said, no, you don't. You don't know. I mean, you're not crawling inside my body, my, my heart, my shell, my emotion, the way I'm wired that, wired that God made me. You're not crawling inside of me. You don't know. And Job's friends are saying, yeah, we, we know all about it, Job. We, we got it all figured out. No, you don't. And you find yourself wondering, where are these so-called friends of mine? They, they don't seem to be getting it. They don't seem to. In fact, they're not often hoping. They're kind of like related to my wife. Curse God and die kind of thing. And just be honest, God, I'm not sure you get it either. God, I'm not sure you understand. I'm not sure you're showing up for me, God. And, and then, then you read these verses. Verses number 23 through 25. Listen. 23 and 24. Job says this. Oh, that my words could be recorded. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel, and filled with lead, engraved forever in the rock. Now, I would like to tell you 
that he's talking about the words that, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Hey, woman, you're speaking like a foolish woman. Should we not just receive good from God and not receive adversity? Those are the words he's talking about. You know what he's talking about? His innocence. He is stomping his foot and saying, I am innocent of this. Would someone please vindicate me? Have you ever wanted to be vindicated? Job did. Job wanted history to record that he was not a guilty person. Not for God's glory, but for Job's sake. St. Augustine said these words. Lord, in a prayer, Lord, deliver me from the lust of vindication. We so want people to know it's not fair. I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. Because we have this tendency of taking matters in our own hands. Amen? We do. Listen to what David said in Psalm 17. He said, Let my vindication come from you, for you see what is right. David got it right. He said, Lord, you vindicate me. Help me get over the fact that I feel like I have to offer some kind of apology or defense for who I am and what's happening in my life. God, you see it all. And when you start tying that in, what happens next? That gets really, really big. Because here's what Job says next. And this is the bottom line. Not, not, not verses 19 through 23. God, where are you? Where are my friends? You know, where's my family? Not that. That's not the bottom line. See, guess what? Job got up in the morning and he put his pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. God at the, or Job at the funeral of his brothers or his children, his sons and daughters, grieved just like you do. When the stock market went south in his day and he lost everything, he was affected just like you are. When things happened and, and he didn't understand, just like you don't understand. Job went through and experienced all that stuff. But here's the difference, and this is my main thrust today. Job had a bottom line. Job said, in spite of sometimes the fact I doubt God, in spite of the fact I don't like, I lost everything, in spite of the fact that my children have died, in spite of the fact my friends have deserted me, in spite of the fact that life is so difficult, here's what he said. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. Come on, yeah, that's a place to clap. That's a place to clap. See, in spite of everything, Job had this bottom line. And his bottom line was faith, not only in God, but this Redeemer. Now, notice there's about three things you've got to notice here. As for me, see, it was a personal thing. Job had reached this conclusion himself. He didn't say... 
Well, my mom told me, or my dad told me, or, or Brother Benny Hinn told me, or, or a deacon told me once, or my, I learned in Sunday school when I was three, he said, ask for me. It's like when Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we're going to, you choose what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And Job in the same way said, but as for me, listen, I, listen, he would say, I have come to a conclusion. Look at my circumstances. No, they're not good. Okay, you you would say you got grounds not to believe in God, not trust God, not to trust people, not to have relationships, not, 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 not. He said, I understand that, but my bottom line demands, say demands, my bottom line demands that my Redeemer lives and nothing is going to shake that. And notice the word my, he didn't say a Redeemer. He didn't say their Redeemer. He didn't say the Redeemer. He said, my Redeemer. It was a personal thing with Job that his Redeemer lived. And notice the word Redeemer. Of all the words, now you understand, Job was written 1,500 to 2,000 years. For, for simplicity's sake, 20 centuries before Jesus Christ hung on the cross in Jerusalem. 20 centuries Just like we look 20 centuries back, he looked 20 centuries forward. And somehow, he didn't say the word God. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. Job, even 20 centuries before it happened, living sometime probably around the the days of Abraham, said, I know that there's coming a day when on this earth, A Redeemer will come. And that Redeemer will be born of a virgin. He will live a holy and sinless life because He will be Emmanuel. He will be God in the flesh, God incarnate. And He will come as the Messiah, as the Redeemer of the world. And they're going to take Him. And they're going to nail Him to a cross. Like that. Perhaps somehow he could hear as Jesus was nailed to the cross. Perhaps somehow he could envision in his mind or in his heart what we know Scripture teaches. As they drove the nails and as he was hanging there, he looked at those people around him and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Maybe Job said, you know, I've got some friends I need to do that to. Because it seems like instead of being a friend, they helped drive the nails in my crucifixion. And he looked forward to his Redeemer and said, you know what? They don't need to be put in my I'm done with you room. They need to be put in my forgiveness room. So if some of your pain is caused from friends who turned their back on you, from friends who deserted you, from friends who did not measure up, maybe you're married to that friend. Maybe you used to be married to that friend. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Maybe perhaps he could look forward and hear the words, Eli! Eli, Sabathani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
We know why. Because on Jesus Christ that day, he who knew no sin, Paul wrote, became sin for us. And God the Father turned the back on his son. God in the flesh turned his back because he could not look on that sin. Do you understand the Father did something to his son he'll never do to us once we trust him? He turned his back on Jesus. Ever feel like God has forsaken you? First off, he has not. He has not. But you ever feel that way? Job did. Job felt like God had totally forsaken him. Maybe he could hear, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Perhaps, maybe, in some distant way, I don't know, perhaps he could hear the words of the Redeemer saying, It is finished. It is finished. So huge. Because Jesus Christ was not dying for his sin. He was dying for the sins of every man, woman, and child who ever walked this earth. And the, and the payment for sin was death. And when he spilled his blood, when he, he, he endured the wrath of God, when he became sin and shed his blood and died, it was finished. The price was paid for the salvation for any man, woman, or child who would say yes. And somehow, some way, Job didn't say, I know God lives. He said, My Redeemer lives. Now, let me tell you why it's really important. Because the next time, and maybe it's right now, next time you're tempted to say, God doesn't love me. That God has forsaken me. That God doesn't even know I exist. That God doesn't care. Then you may stretch and say that people don't care. People don't love. and, And my friends have abandoned me. No one loves me. You look back to Calvary. And you look at a couple of pieces of Roman timber. That is stained with the blood of God himself. And that cross will forever say from God, I love you. And that cross is bigger than your circumstances. It's bigger than your pain. It's bigger than your suffering. It's bigger than your F4. It's bigger than whatever you will go through life. That cross says from God, I love you. I love you. I love you. If you're sitting there today and the sun's shining bright in your life, and you're very comfortable in your religion... May I challenge you to look back to a cross and remember that there was a time when God hung on a wooden cross and bled and died that you could have forgiveness of sins. And he says to you, I love you. We men take our wives for granted and we, you wives, take your husbands for granted. And so often the words fail to escape us, the actions fail to get done because we just assume they know. God will never assume that you know that he loves you because he gave us the cross. He gave us the cross. And he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And only that. He only died. He lives. Because he one day will stand upon the earth. Somehow Job knew that it would be a Redeemer, that blood would be shed. But he also knew this. He knew that he wouldn't stay dead. 
That would be a good place for those who believe in the resurrection to say amen. Job knew Jesus couldn't stay dead. They couldn't kill him and they couldn't keep him in the grave. He lives. It's incredible. So, so here we are. Job knew that, that somehow, some way, Jesus had died as Redeemer. But not only that, he would live. They would get up again. He, might have known the, he may not have known the three-day thing. He may not have known that theology. But he knew his Redeemer would live and stand upon the earth. Somehow, somehow Job believed in his resurrection and his resurrection. Did you get that? If I haven't put it on, I should have put it on the screen. Job believed in his capital H resurrection. I know my Redeemer lives and will stand upon the earth. I know my Redeemer is greater than death. I know my Redeemer is greater than sin. I know my, my Redeemer is greater than tragedy. I know my Redeemer is greater than, than pain. I know my Redeemer is greater than suffering. I know my Redeemer is greater than unanswered questions. And God, by the way, I've got a ton of those. But I know that my Redeemer lives and will stand upon the earth. But it's bigger than that. When you consider this happened 20 centuries before the first Easter, 20 and a half, less than a half, but right in the New Testament, listen to what Job says in verse 26 and 27. And after my body has decayed, have you got the picture? Do I need to describe it for you? Lord, Martha says to Jesus at the death of Lazarus, He's been in the grave four days, and he stinketh by now. Job says, after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. Do you get that? What amazing theology 20 centuries before the first resurrection. I know my body's going to rot, But I also know that some way God is going to make it all over again. And I'm going to see God. Verse 27. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. Isn't that incredible? You may not be able to say the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. You don't be able to say you speak as a foolish woman. Should we not receive, as we receive good from God, also receive adversity? But can you begin to grasp the power that Job had through faith to believe that his Redeemer lived, that he would stand? And one day, yes, Job would die, but that God would resurrect him again. May I read to you from Paul? 1 Corinthians 15, 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. 
For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed to bodies or to immortal bodies that will never die. This fulfills the scripture. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Paul says, you know what? Either, and I know I get time going theology, I shouldn't mention this, but we believe Jesus Christ is coming back someday. And the dead are going to rise first with a brand new body. And if we have to be alive in that day, we are going to be transformed. And we're all going to be with Jesus. But the bottom line is this. Death has lost its sting. Death has lost its victory. Now, Job realized what Jesus said 20 20 centuries later. That you're in this world, but you're not of the world. Job realized that this was not all there was. If this is all there is, then when you lose your money and you lose your popularity and you lose your prosperity and you lose your family and you lose and you lose and you lose, you die, you rot, dust, the end. That's sad. But Job didn't believe that. Job believed that if we lose everything here, that may be difficult. But I've got everything there. What a day that will be. No more parting we will see. And my brothers and sisters, my friends today, if you believe this is all there is, that's a sad story. But when you add the Jesus factor, it changes everything. It changes everything. So can I close with this? Got Jesus? Got Jesus today? No, it does not mean that if you get Jesus, your life is all of a sudden perfect. It doesn't mean that your kids all get scholarships and they all have straight teeth. It doesn't mean that your integrity will never be called into question. But it does mean two things. It means through this life, you will never walk alone. Though every friend you have forsake you, though everyone deserts you, there is a friend who stays closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he will never leave you. Never leave you. Never leave you. And the second thing is this. That beyond this 60, 70, 30, 80, 90, 100 years we have here, this, this blink of the eye that James describes as a vapor. Beyond this, there's this really huge, long eternity of being with Jesus. Now, I know that probably to most of you get, well, so. You know, I thought heaven was like catching all the big fish I wanted. I'm glad heaven's a lot bigger than that. Face to face. With Christ the Savior. Face and face to see and know. Eternity with the one who died for you. And not only just, it's not going to be like a lonely place. In fact, Paul said that, that we will know as we are known. In other words, that, that when one of us goes, 
I won't be married to Judy, but I'll know Judy. I won't walk around with a bunch of strangers going, wonder who that is, wonder who that is. What's your name? We will know one another. We'll know God, we'll know Christ, we'll know His Holy Spirit in a way we can't even hear, but we'll know one another. And the things that Satan has stolen away from you in this life will be restored. Will be restored. But the thief steals, God does give back. So I know those two things. You don't need religion. In fact, I advise you to stay away from religion. You need Jesus. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front in just a few moments. And we're going to have everybody stand and bow their heads and close their eyes. And this is our invitation time. It's our decision time. It's a time for you to say, you know what? I've had questions about God. I felt like God didn't care. My friends didn't care. I'm in deep weeds. I'm in darkness. But Dwayne, what you said today makes sense. I want to know this Jesus, this Redeemer that you spoke about. And we have some friends who will take the Word of God and show you exactly what the Bible says about coming into relationship with magnificent Holy God. Now, this too, if you, if you already know Jesus, and may I be very honest and candid, and you can, you can talk about me at lunch, a lot of us have forgotten this. We have reduced Jesus down to some kind of janitor in our lives to clean up the messes we make. We forgot that bloodstained cross. We forgot that He's holy God. He didn't come and say, I'm going to be your buddy. He came and said, I'm going to be your king. And we forgot that He's the Lord of lords of our lives. Some of us remember the wedding day, but the marriage stinks. We are His bride and He is our groom. We need to come back to an intimate relationship with Him. You don't need to get saved again. You just got to get reacquainted with Jesus. I encourage you to do that. So do you have Jesus? Do you have Jesus intimately in your lives today? Has it reached a point where you got your bottom line? Have you got it down? Every person here. Have you got a bottom line that says, I don't care what happens. What did Job say? Even though you slay me, even though you kill me, God, I will trust you. Have you got your bottom line? Because if not, you'll walk one day. You will walk one day. If you don't have a bottom line, Satan will, Satan will come one day and say, if God really loved you this, if God really loved you that, if God really loved you this, and you'll walk. You'll take, you'll take a hike. Have you reached your bottom line? And then just for free, what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? When you see people at the bottom, when you see people doubting, what kind of friend are you? Job really could have used a good friend. And the four who showed up, including his wife, well, it didn't work. But he knew his Redeemer lived, and Jesus is a friend who will never leave you nor forsake you. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? I want to pray for you today. I hope this has offered some hope to you. I hope you're leaving here challenged to come to know Jesus Christ if you never have. 
challenge to be more intimate and loving with Him than you ever have before. Yes, and challenge to be a friend. Maybe there's some forgiveness that you can take place in your life. Maybe you're here and you remember the words of Jesus when He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We would have said, of course they know what they do. They're driving nails in your wrist. They didn't get it. Maybe there's some forgiveness you need to know. Maybe, maybe you feel forsaken by God today. I need to tell you something. God can handle it. It's okay. He's an awesome God. You hear I mean, if, if I was God and Job had said the things he said about me, I'd have been mad. But God's, God can handle it. All he wants you is to be honest with him. Say, God, I'm angry today. I'm, I'm bitter at you. He can handle it. He can handle that. He can handle it even that you feel like he's forsaken you. And that process, he's going to reach out and love you right back into his arms again. And again, maybe today, you need to think about those words, it is finished. It's done. Can't work for it. Don't deserve it. It's a free gift for anyone who will ask. Thanks, God. Thanks for the incredible privilege of teaching these incredible truths. I pray, Father, for my friend here today who has never placed their faith and trust in you, Jesus. And they're facing difficult circumstances without you. Would you please draw them to yourself? I know no emotional words of mine or any pastor can draw people to you. Only you can do that, Holy Spirit. So I pray for that. I pray, Father, for people to get bottom lines. For people to finally nail it down. No matter what happens in my life, I will never walk from God. I don't have to understand and I won't. I don't have to have all the answers because I won't. I just know this. My Redeemer lives and will stand again upon this earth. And I will see Him with my own eyes. So I pray we'll draw our own bottom line. Father, may we be the kind of people that loves people. When we see those struggling, help us not to pass them by. Help us not to give them a cursory, I understand. Help us to love them. Sometimes, Father, just putting your arm around, like you do us, is what's most needed. Have your witness invitation time. And Jesus, I want to pray this in your precious name.